Hello and welcome to Unpleasant Movies, the podcast that is exclusively dedicated to harsh and unrelenting cinema. My name is Svad Ogor. And my name is Thomas Simonsen Barnbara. And today we are discussing the 2016 movie The Greasy Strangler. Directed by Jim Hosking. Written by Jim Hosking and Toby Harvard. Starring Michael St. Michaels as Big Ronnie. Sky Elobar as Big Braden. Elizabeth DiRazio as Janet. Gil Gex as Big Paul. The cinematography is by Morten Tedin. And the music is by Andrew Hung, who you might know as founding members of the band Fuck Buttons. That's right. And the music is great in this movie, I would say. Absolutely. So yeah, as usual, we're going to delve deep into the plot and story of this movie. So we recommend you either have watched this movie before or don't mind spoilers. Yeah. So the story of this movie is kind of simple and very strange. Yeah. It basically revolves around a father and a son. And there's a greasy strangler on the loose and he's killing people. And the father, he's constantly alluding to that he's not the Greasy Strangler, which is quite suspicious. Yes, and he's always asking other people if they think he's this Greasy Strangler. Yeah, which, again, it seems very suspicious. And he's very interested in Grease. Yeah. Which also, you know, rings some alarm bells in connection to the Greasy Strangler murders. Mm. And he has his son, Big Brayden. And the father is Big Ronnie, so mm. they both have pretty cool names. <laughs> yeah. And the son is kind of, he reminds me a lot of Eric Wareheim. I think he could easily be cast in that role too. Mm. He's this sort of uh, awkward man. And his father is more of a sort of sleazy awkward man. They're both very awkward. And it seems like the father is running this sort of a tour guide in the local area for like disco historical sites. And it seems like he's just making everything up, basically. Eventually, more and more people get strangled, and the story follows that sort of, I wouldn't call it investigation, but there's a woman that shows up as um, Big Braden's love interest. She's part of a tour group, and uh, they sort of fall in love. A lot of things happen after that. Yeah, it becomes a bit of a romantic triangle, I guess. Yeah, a love triangle between uh, Big Ronnie, Big Braden, and Janet. <laughs> yeah, because Big Ronnie starts to mix the moves, or as Big Braden calls him, uh, being a smoothie to Janet. At first, she's kind of uh, hesitant, but then uh, she gets mixed up with Ronnie as well. And then Braden managed to convince her to come back. And it kind of shakes up the dynamic between the father and son, yeah. who also live together. They live together in this big dilapidated house yeah. somewhere in California. Mm. And um, they're both kind of disgusting. Their clothing styles are like faded remnants of the 70s. Mm. It seems like uh, Big Ronnie, he loved disco back in the day and he sort of never escaped the culture. And there's like frequent sequences where they're both naked. Yeah. And you can see Big Ronnie's giant dick yeah. and Big Braden's very tiny dick. Yeah. And they're sort of littered throughout the movie scenes of their genitalia. Like Big Ronnie often wears like these revealing disco suits with like see-through fabric at his crotch area. And it's yeah. So horrific. Yeah. He's not wearing any like <laughs> underwear. So it's yeah. just this uh, netting that you can like see his dong through. Yeah. Weirdly. His gigantic dong. Early on in the movie, it becomes pretty obvious that Big Ronnie is the Greasy Strangler. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There's the sequence where uh, he's sort of uh, hounded by the first tour group we see. Mm. And they want free drinks and he's not giving them free drinks. Mm. So it, he becomes pretty pissed at them. Mm. Tells them to fuck off. Mm. And then later on, the Greasy Strangler appears and murders them in some really funny sequences. Yeah, there's no mystery here. Very clearly when you see the Greasy Strangler, it's just him covered in like lumps of yellowish goo, basically. Yeah, just yeah. covered in grease. Yeah. It's obviously him from the very start. Like, yeah. it's supposed to be this sort of mystery, but it's really not. Yeah. 
he kills people in like funny ways and there's always like funny dialogue as mm. he kills them there's a lot of weird dialogue throughout the movie honestly a lot of really like uh surreal and tim and eric-esque dialogue mm. some of it feels a lot like napoleon dynamite the sort of weird uh off-kilter uncomfortable sequences yeah kind of awkward totally it's a very very bizarre movie yeah it sort of escalates this love triangle towards the end and Braden is very suspicious of his father being the greasy strangler but then he starts to notice these lumps of grease in the house <laughs> and that kind of convinces him and after like a showdown with Braden and Janet Big Ronnie kind of runs off and transforms into the greasy strangler but then he kind of knocks Braden over and grabs Janet and they run off at which point Braden finds like the big vat of grease and declares that he can also be a greasy strangler. So he jumps into that grease and comes up as a greasy... I mean, they only use, like, animal sounds when they're in the greasy costume. Yeah. I would say before that point, yeah. like, initially he starts to investigate the greasy strangler <laughs> yeah. case, what Big Braden does, after Oinker, who is a friend of him and his father, apparently. Well, I think he's a good friend of Braden. I don't think Ronnie likes him. Oh, well, he compliments his shoes. Anyway. Yeah, he does. Yeah, He does, yeah. so... Anyway, the greasy strangler strangles Oinker. Mm. and uh, Braden finds his grease mm. at the crime scene. Mm. So that's sort of what starts this investigation. Mm. But yeah, he climbs into this vat of grease and mm. he becomes a new grease strangler. Mm. And he follows uh, Big Ronnie and Janet to the movie theater. And then he strangles Janet. Yeah, because Ronnie's there, he's strangling Janet. And then Greasy Braden comes in and he kind of joins his father instead of helping her. So he's strangling her as well and her eyes pop out. Yeah. A recurring motif, eyes popping out. Well, the Greasy Strangler eats eyes. Yeah. And then when Big Braden becomes, you know, the Greasy Strangler mm. Jr., he also eats eyes. Yeah. It's very, like, trauma-esque violence sequences mm. with eyes popping out and gore, and it's more funny than anything else. Yeah, and then they kind of run out into the woods, and curiously enough, as they're becoming these more animal creatures, oh, I mean, as they're running around in the woods, they see themselves, like, the human versions of themselves, fastened to a pole and shot by a couple of old guys, executed for their crimes, I guess. Yeah. And then their heads kind of pop like a champagne bottle and confetti and champagne just spurts out yeah. like a flow of champagne. And they also murder Brayden's mother's boyfriend. Yeah. Who basically seems like broke up Big Ronnie and his mother's relationship. It's all pretty bizarre at the end. Yeah, the very last image is the two greasy stranglers poking like these pointy sticks at us as the yeah. audience. They're attacking you. Yeah. And then the movie ends. That's the story of this movie. Yeah. It's pretty bizarre in a very appealing way to me. Like, I love this movie. I found it one of my favorite movies I've seen in a long time. <laughs> yeah. But it is thoroughly disgusting throughout the movie. Mm. There's so many scenes of grease and, like, greasy food and a lot of, like, disgusting sounds and noises. And it's just vile all yeah. throughout. Yeah, the title kind of makes it sound like it's a horror or a horror parody. But it's not really that at all. It's more like a gross-out comedy. As you say, very Tim and Eric-like that's kind yeah. of adult swim. It does have a sort of John Waters vibe to it, too. Definitely. It, it feels like it should be a cult movie, mm. and it probably will be a cult movie. Mm. Like a much more mm. widely known cult mm. movie. Mm. I'm sure it's just going to grow in the following in the coming years. Mm. Because it's such a charmingly disgusting movie. 
and it's also kind of beautiful. The mm. cinematography is great. Yeah, it looks very lush. It's a very colorful. Yeah, the costumes and the... A lot of really interesting locations. Mm. It has a certain vibe to it. Definitely. And the music is sort of this playful synth uh, analog sounds. It's also very playful mm. and funny in a sort of sense. It's not very serious. There's almost nothing serious about this movie, but it is... It's not like a crazy comedy. There is a certain touch of art to it as well, I would say. Well, I mean, it's very sincere in a way. Yeah. Like the characters, they don't they don't really play for laughs. I mean, they're awkward, they're weird, but they're very sincere in their character, I would say. Yeah, they're awkward in a sort of um, Eric Andre, Tim and Eric way, where it's, they play it off very seriously, mm. even though they're saying these absurd things. I could totally understand how this movie would not appeal to a lot of people. It's <laughs> quite off-putting in a number of ways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's also like super explicit. A lot of like yeah. scenes of sex and genitalia and fat bodies mm. and, and, and it's great. And it's interesting, yeah. As you said, it definitely reminds me a bit of John Waters and, and that kind of body politics that he navigates. There's all these people, I mean, they're pretty ordinary in a sense, like ordinary bodies. Like they're not the kind of bodies you often see in film. They're not ripped or particularly thin. I would say Michael St. Michael's is the opposite of ripped. He's like deflated. I love the way his body is portrayed on camera. Yeah. He shows his ass a lot and mm. it's like so flat and mm. flaccid. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just funny to watch, you know. And uh, Sky Elevar is like this kind of overweight guy. Yeah. And he's this typical sad live at home with mm. his parents kind of guy. Mm. And it's often portrayed in, in movies, but seldom like sexualized mm. like this. It's, mm. it's funny it's, and it's interesting the way they portray these bodies that are so seldomly seen in feature films. Mm. And I, I really appreciate that. Like it's it's played to be as disgusting as possible, but like everyone is disgusting in this movie. And yeah. I love that. And there's something very vulnerable about these bodies as well. I mean, they're old, they're a bit flabby, they're kind of partly weirdly shaped. Like, I mean, the, if you take the genitals, for instance, yeah. I mean, they're pretty obviously fake. I mean, and they're weirdly shaped. They're like triangle shaped. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they look look really uh, they look weird. Strange. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But they look funny. Yeah. Like, there's so much funny genitalia shots in this movie. But at the same time, like, they're not like disgusting weird like body wise mm. they're just like normal people i guess yeah it's done in a very humorous way mm, mm. and the morals of this movie are just weird because it's clearly like murderous insane people and you can't really judge any person in this movie by like i guess normal human ethics mm. because nobody is acting in a normal way they're just fucking bizarre all the time like this weird fascination with disco everybody has mm. like so abstract in mm. a way but it's so funny yeah i kind of think of it almost as if it's a bit like kids playing in a way everything's sincere but it's also kind of halfway serious the violence isn't brutal it's often very slow and clunky and the way things happen there's a slowness and mundanity to it in a way that it kind of feels like um not fantasy precisely but it feels like playing it doesn't feel like anything mm. has any real consequences mm. even though there's lots of murder and stuff yeah. like there's no real police ever involved <laughs> there's a scene where big ronnie <laughs> pretends to be a detective uh, and he has these long yellow nails and it's so off-putting it's like this david lynchian sort of character that crawls into big ronnie and brayden's home and pretends to be this detective even though he's obviously big ronnie yeah, it's a very poor disguise. I think it's Braden who calls him because he wants to give clues who the greasy strangler is. Yeah. And he doesn't recognize Ronnie. I think they call him Jody. And you can yes, tell, right, that. even before you see him, you just hear the voice, you can tell that it's Big Ronnie. And as you say, these really long yellow nails. Yeah, like when he first appears, like you yeah. just see the hands yeah. over like the fence. 
almost like German expressionism yeah, in this yeah. character. He's very Nosferatu-like. Yeah, very uh, Nosferatu. Absolutely horrible. And in a different movie, he would be terrifying. But in this movie, he's just like funny. Yeah. There's so many things in this movie that put in another light or another sort of a dramatic mm. uh, vibe would be completely different. Mm. But everything in this movie, even though it's horribly violent and absolutely disgusting, mm. it feels like it has a lot of heart. Mm -hmm. And that's strange to say because these characters are not very sympathetic at all. Mm. And like uh, Big Braden's sort of heel turn towards mm. the end where he suddenly <laughs> becomes a Grease Strangler and just kills Janet. Like even that doesn't feel consequential. It just mm. feels like, oh, here's some more weirdness for you. Yeah. And after that, they have this sit down like father and son. Yeah, on the beach, yeah. like in the sunset. Because they've been having drama between them. But now they're kind of reconnecting and talking about how horrible Janet is. <laughs> Suddenly <laughs> it becomes really like misogynistic and yeah. weird. They're like bonding over how horrible she was. But she wasn't very horrible yeah. like compared to them. Yeah. Uh, and it's so fucking strange. Like they've been fighting all through the movie. Mm. Like Big Braden, he's just never good enough. He never mm. makes the food greasy enough. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and Ron is always threatening to have him thrown out. Yeah, so like when Big Braden becomes this new greasy strangler, they sort of bond and come together and sort of heal over mm. this. It's so disgusting and off-putting, really. Mm. But because it's so weird, it's just more funny than anything else. Yeah, I mean, like, if you have to think about what it means, it basically, there's an abusive father with a vulnerable type kid. And the way they kind of reconnect is that he becomes as awful as his father, basically. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like logistically it works in a way. Emotionally, it feels very strange. Yeah, yeah. Also, the entire movie is, has this language, like mm. the script. Like suddenly they'll just switch dialects or start rolling their R's. Or mm. When Oinker gets his new shoes and he's like, I rented them <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> instead yeah. of rented them. Yeah. And in the final scene on the beach, Big Braden suddenly starts talking like Australian. Yeah. Like it's so bizarre. Very bad accents. Yeah. <laughs> so everything feels like they're just playing all the time. Mm. And there's also this way that a lot of the scenes, particularly when there's like disagreements, there's a lot of repetition. Just people saying the same thing back and forth, just like a, a child, like insisting, just yeah. trying to force the will just of saying. And usually they end up like chanting it together. Mm. Like the Rudy Tootie Disco Cutie or yeah. whatever the fuck it is. It's great. Yeah. I love it. It's so strange. Yeah. yeah, there's something very infantile about it. Yeah. As like a way of expressing your intentions. It's so unabashedly mm. strange. Mm. I love it. And like, it is the intention too. Mm. Like, it's very explicitly weird mm. and strange and full of non sequiturs and strange comments. And the script is just really fascinatingly weird. Mm. But it's also like liberating in how disgusting and weird it, it just it never stops itself. Mm. It always goes the extra mile to be extra weird and mm. disgusting. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of films that try this sort of thing, I think, and they kind of become a bit boring. Like, oh, right, that effect might be nice or that scene might be cool. But this somehow manages to stick together very well. And the acting is actually really good. I mean, all the characters are completely one note. They have like at maximum maybe one and a half dimension to them. <laughs> but they're played with a lot of sincerity yeah. and vulnerability and it feels weirdly nuanced for yeah, such... Yeah, all, uh, all of the cast, I think, do a, quite a good job. But I think especially Michael St. Michaels mm. is just amazing. He has the sort of benefit of having a great voice, a yeah. great face, yeah, yeah, like yeah, great yeah. mannerisms. Yeah. He does a really great 
part in mm. this in this like he sort of he owns this whole story he's very charismatic and he's such a disgusting and horrible yeah. person <laughs> he's just always like even towards his own son he's yeah. like stealing his girlfriend and, and always trash talking him like my son is he's always shitting the bad and shitting he, he wants shit on the tv and stuff like he's always making up stories yeah always lying always putting him down yeah and he's always making up these like stories about meeting famous disco <laughs> era people <laughs> Like, I met Michael Jackson, and we, we met some Korean girls, and we fucked them. Like, uh, we were pumping in rhythm, and he flew off to Rome on a secret mission. And it's like, just <laughs> absolutely bizarre stories. Yeah. Quite similar, in a way, to these uh, tour guide stories, where he just comes to a random location and says, in this doorway, that's where the Bee Gees made this song. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is where the earth, the wind, and the fire worked yeah. you know, on their last album. Like, nobody seems to believe his stories, even on no. the tour guides, the tour groups. And, you know, aside from maybe like the first one where the three guys kind of get antsy and require answers and then ask for drinks. At the other times, mostly people just kind of nod along and they don't care one way or another. Yeah, they seem so apathetic. Like, he will like, explain something and then the tour group just wanders off. Mm. It's really funny. It also reminds me a little bit of um, Hal Hartley's films, just in the mode of acting. And he also has a lot of like wooden acting with characters that have single dimensions very different types of movies they're more like more typical american independent in a sense yeah but the approach to acting which is it's, it's quite expressionistic here and not really pretending to be nuanced in that way like no uh, and there was no ad-libbing or anything in yeah. this movie as mm. far as i understand from interviews and such with the actors it was all written yeah. very explicitly with directions and stuff and mm. it's very well written with how weird and spontaneous it seems mm. um but yeah some of the characters are like very flatly like uh sky Alibar as big Braden. Mm. he's very like flat in his delivery mm. sometimes like is explicitly reading it off a text or something. And that is exactly what he's supposed to be doing. Mm. You know, it just feels very bad mm. in a funny way, you know? Yeah, and a lot of the characters that you suspect are like non-actors. They seem almost like people he's picked up the street. Kind of like what Tim and Eric do with these... Uh, yeah, David Almost Lieberhart. like David Lieberhart or one of these weirdos they seem to have picked up the street. Like they're just... There's something about the vibe that's a bit off and Often kind of about funny. the look. Yeah. They have this specific look to them. They look kind of funny and kind of weird. And they do just this one thing and it's kind of a lot of repetition around it. But at the same time... While the characters themselves don't really have a lot of dimension, mm. and that is by intent, I feel especially like Michael St. Michael's, he has just a lot of ways of doing things that yeah, are very yeah. interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sometimes he seems a bit friendly, mm. sometimes he's just completely psychotic, sometimes mm. he's extremely angry and upset, mm. and sometimes he, well, a lot of times he tries to be very, like, sexy and charming. yeah. And that's almost the best mode of him, I feel. He's just, just so horrific. He's super sleazy. Yeah, in these, like, disco suits where, you, like, you see, like, his crotch hair mm. and his giant dick, like, in see-through fabric. And there's a sequence where he's just, like, disco dancing mm. in a spotlight at night. And it's just, it's weirdly mesmerizing. Mm. And then, like, the light turns off and he's like, oh, oh better, better yeah. go home. That's when he's out in the street, isn't it? He's just yeah. walking and then suddenly like a light comes on yeah. and he starts to dance. It's just weird. Pretty cool. Almost like a musical scene. Uh, like yeah, like a musical scene. or like, It seems like weirdly poetic and mm. disturbing. And like that scene especially seems kind of Lynchian to me. Mm. And the sort of Lynch often has to see dancing sequences mm. that feel very off mm. or musical sequences. 
I feel like the whole movie has its own vibe, though. It's so playful and free of constraints. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, as I mentioned earlier, it's a very beautiful movie. Like, in its own way, the imagery is very striking. Mm, absolutely. Like, the use of color and the lighting. Yeah. It's definitely, often he has, like, a mixes color and warmth tones in different layers of the... It uses a lot of complementary colors and stuff, which gives a very sort of strong and, and lush and kind of exotic, almost, look to Yeah, it, it does have this very striking look a lot of the visuals remind me of sean baker's florida project because it's quite colorful and it's also like very american mm. in the settings and the locales and the like the color palette it's mm. quite pastel a lot of pinks it's very interesting and very striking his humor and his style is very american it doesn't really feel very part of like the english tradition like there's not much of the Mighty Boosh or like Monty Python or that kind of era. It's much more. Not at this, all. It's uh, no, there's no sarcasm. Mm. Like there's no irony. It's just played very straight in a way. Mm. And it reminds me a lot more of like adult swim shows and, and like the weirdness you'd see there than anything the Brits would do, even when it comes to like absurd and surreal humor. And fittingly enough, he had a adult swim show, was it last year, called Tropical Cocktails, which I saw some of that. And also has this very lush cinematography, also very one-dimensional characters, very shouty characters a lot of the time. A few recurring actors from this film, but not as charming, I would say. It doesn't have quite the same sincerity or drive, I think, as this film had, as far as I saw anyway. Yeah, I feel like this really was like a project that was made with a lot of love for it. I know the producers, like the production company who made it, Spectre Vision, which was uh, started by Elijah Wood. I read an interview, or, or I saw an interview with the guys from that and Jim Hosking. And they were like, we just felt like if we didn't finance this movie, like nobody would make it. <laughs> yeah. We really had to do it because yeah. nobody is going to take a chance on this movie. The script is so weird mm. and they all loved it. Like mm. they really wanted people to see it. Mm. And uh, I can understand why. It's such a weird but heartfelt project. Mm, definitely. He made a second feature after this called An Evening with Beverly Laughlin, where he's using a lot of professional actors like Jermaine Clement, Aubrey Plaza, Matt Berry. And Matt Berry, of course. <laughs> and it's also kind of a, a weird movie. It's a lot more toned down. Now, one of the things actually quite funny about the titular character, Beverly Laughlin, who's played by Craig Robinson, he's kind of this singer that everyone's looking forward to seeing but weirdly he's just making this single sound when everyone tries to talk and he's just saying Aah! something like that and there's all these scenes where people are trying to interact with him and then they start to speculate is he like a, a zombie what's going on is he half dead and you really don't know much about that character he's just <laughs> showing up and making this weird sound and it has that kind of funny weirdness to it it's not as extreme it's more gentle in a way I like it, but... I mean, most movies are more jungle movies, Strangler. Yeah, but he's kind of in a different mode, I think, the director. He's trying for something a bit, I guess, kind of a bit more commercial in the sense that he's not in that wildly... I mean, it has some of that gross-out elements, like eating scenes, but mostly it's just kind of weird and, like, the character work is pretty good. It's not as striking, I would say, but still enjoyable. Yeah, I think that was the intention of Jim Hosking, too. I, I think I heard an interview with him on the Sundance Festival where he's talking about that. He wanted that movie to be in a different sort of key than mm. The Greasy Strangler. More low-key, I guess. <laughs> I mean, The Greasy Strangler is so <laughs> fucking out there. So I can definitely understand wanting to do something a bit different. I've heard talk. I don't know if it's real, but was there talk of a Greasy Strangler 2? 
I'm not sure if I need that, but I kind of would like to see more of these actors in some weird ass shit because I, I just really enjoyed this movie. Yeah, I hadn't heard of that. Maybe manages to make something interesting out of it, though. I... I'm always wary of this sort of strange cult <laughs> movie sequels. Because you have to kind of uh, replicate some ineffable quality that's very hard to define. It's not easy to tap into. No. Right. It's better to kind of reiterate a bit. Yeah, make something new with a bit of the same energy, I mm. feel, would probably be better than a straight-up sequel. Although I wouldn't mind a Greasy Strangler universe. That's interesting, right? But yeah, I think he hit the nail. There's a lot of things that just work really well in Greasy Strangler, like... As you said, the music... The music is perfect. It's kind of... Um, times I felt it was almost like a... You know, sometimes people say like the music is a character of the film. In this case, it feels like it's almost an actual character. It's like a lampooning court jester pointing fingers and doing a silly dance, yeah. like mocking the characters of the scene. Yeah, it's like instead of a Greek chorus, there's this weird character that's just this jester character yeah. that's mocking and dancing and making weird sounds. Yeah, going like... Yeah, and again, it feels like almost like when you make fun of somebody in kindergarten yeah, nah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so stupid and that's sort of the vibe of the music mm. and there's so many funny noises and stuff and it's very rich and weird sounds i love the soundtrack yeah it does feel like a sort of character in its own right and there's just so many colorful and funny characters the music reminds me a little bit of um you know, the residents, right, as uh, this uh, American weirdo band, the big eyeballs with their uh, top hats. The same label, Ralph Records, there's another band. It's called Ronaldo and the Loaf, which is maybe even weirder than residents. Pretty cool band, actually. Quite interesting. And this music by Andrew Hung uh, kind of reminded me a bit of their stuff. Yeah, I got a straight up residents vibe off it, too, mm. for sure. It mm. does have this sort of children's chorus, small like vignettes of weird sounds and repetitive stuff. It's a brilliant work by Andrew Hung. Like, there's no elements in the movie I dislike. It's, no. It seems to come together yeah. in all the right places. It does. The casting, the script, the cinematography and the music, and the direction... It has a lot of these lovely details, like Braden in his room, because he's writing these fantasy sci-fi yes, stories, and, and he's made these posters, right? And one of these posters, like, it's called Rasta Revenge, and the title at the top of the poster says, Nick Locke can get revenge for you because he is illegal. Right. And there's this old white dude in sunglasses holding a smoking gun over the body of a black man, like the Rasta guy, I guess. And there's a whole bunch of dead rats in a heap. And there's a palm tree and like an urban landscape. And what is this thing? He can get revenge for you because he's an illegal? <laughs> what the, what's going on? It's so weird. I mean, that's clearly it should be Jim Hosking's next movie project. <laughs> I would fucking watch that in a heartbeat. You know, oh, even more, maybe one of those fantasy stories he keeps talking about. Yes, so. the Amulet trilogy or whatever. Yeah, that could be like the uh, expanded greasy universe or yeah. something. Oh, please. I need this. <laughs> oh, so much. And then you can sort of uh, pull out a bit and have a little of the author, you know. Yeah, yeah. It's Braden's voice. <laughs> yeah, like in the Hobbit movie. Where he starts off, you know. Great. Yeah, there's a lot of cool details in the movie. I, I love the set design, too. It's yeah. so beautifully gnarly. It reminds me a lot of, like, uh, Gummo, the sort of interiors yeah. of Gummo. Mm. The sort of dilapidated, disgusting, like, mm. neglected. Like, you can just imagine the atmosphere and, like, the smell. It's so disgusting, like... Mm water stains and mold on the walls mm. and but it's not like too disgusting either like it's not a horror house it no. seems like a house where some sort of uh, nasty people could live mm. for sure and 
it's just the right balance mm. of nastiness. Yeah, it is kind of inviting just because of the cinematography, I think. It's not an, an unpleasant location to be in, in a sense. Yeah, the rich cinematography and stuff really makes you want to watch it, even though it's disgusting. Like the sex scene with Big Braden and Janet mm. on his tiny rickety bed. Mm. And he's like, am I doing this right? Am I doing this right? <laughs> yeah, Can you yeah. tell me if I'm doing yeah. this right? And it's on this little bed and like there's this camera like directly facing Braden mm. as he's lying face up on, mm. on the bed. And like the atmosphere there is so great. Mm. It's so disgusting and sort of, uh, I don't know, honest in a sense. Yeah. I mean, these actors, they put a lot of faith into Jim Hosking, I think. Like, there's a lot of angles and stuff. They're not exactly flattering. I mean, there's a lot of awkward compositions of the characters and their bodies are often very revealed. It's also kind of what makes it feel so vulnerable in a sense. Yeah, the actors are kind of brave. Mm. Like, they really go all the way. Yeah. Like, they seem to believe in Jim Hosking, like, 100%. And they really fucking did the work. Mm. Like, they put in everything they got. Mm. And it came up beautifully. Mm. Like, there's not a lot of actors, I think, who would do everything in this movie. It's no, no, no. fucked up yeah. in a lot of ways. Like, especially with the bodily stuff and the nudity mm. and the, all the grease and stuff. Like, yeah. it's so... And also being represented as both mundane and also kind of weird. Like Janet, she doesn't have like a typical female body that you usually see nude. Well, she doesn't have a typical Hollywood body. Yeah, right. that's what I mean. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty brave, I think. And uh, yeah, in itself, but like also in this movie, all the bodies are like explicitly disgusting. Mm. They're made to be that way, mm. even though they're quite normal. Like the way it's filmed mm. and the way the characters are dressed and behave, mm. like everything's so explicitly off-putting, mm. which makes it like probably even harder to do as an actor to get into that mode mm. and trust the director to make that work. Yeah, it, it's cast well, like it's picked out the right people for the job, definitely. For sure. And I I want to see more of these actors. Like yeah. uh, Michael St. Michael's. Like I, yeah. I tried to do some research on mm. them, but they're just not very known. Like the little information I could find is that like Michael St. Michael's was like this globetrotting hairdresser <laughs> in <laughs> yeah, the past. Yeah. Then I heard an interview with Jim Hoskin and he's like, so he was this hairdresser, but I'm not sure I believe him. <laughs> yeah. So there's like this layer of mystery over this guy. And I just, yeah, it's fascinating. I mean, he's done a bunch of stuff, right? It seems to be a lot of these, um, should I say, B-movie genre things. Yeah, and... I think his most famous thing before this was the video Dead from the 80s, which apparently never got a wide release. But yeah, mostly like very small, kind of off the beaten path stuff. Yeah, and maybe some TV stuff here and there. But yeah, like he's just very charismatic Definitely. and mysterious. Yeah, And uh, his role as the Greasy Strangler does making less interesting. <laughs> I kind of hope, uh, I'd like to see more from Jim Hosking. I mean, he's still only made two films and, and two kind of shorter series. It'd be interesting to see what more he can do. Yeah, I'll definitely watch anything he puts out mm. in movie format. There's a few of his short films and stuff online that you can see. And they're quite funny, kind of interesting. You can kind of see how his career changed, like the early ones there in England. And they have almost more like um, a weird scene out of a Monty Python sketch kind of vibe, that kind of absurdity. And the later ones, they you can see the cinematography kind of being more a part of his approach to characters and scenes yeah i think like the closest comedy style on like the british isles is like probably limmy it's for form of like it's completely absurd but very little english it's very its own brand of weirdness that's also played very straight 
Well, I feel like Lemmy is very in the English tradition, though. He feels very unmistakably British in his character, I think. I disagree. Mm. I feel like there's a heavy influence of Tim and Eric, which I know there is. He's yeah. talked about this quite ex yeah. extensively. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. he's a lot more influenced by American comedy and adult swim stuff and things like that. And I think it shows. But like the general sort of British vibe of comedy is like nearly not present in Jim Hosking's stuff. Mm. And I find it fascinating because I think he lives in London. He is still based in, in Britain. In a lot of interviews, he kind of states pretty clearly that he, he wants to do what other people don't really do. And he wants to go his own way. And that makes a lot of sense in a British context, I think. Because sure. it doesn't really look much like stuff that's produced. Um... Like, especially if you want to go the comedy route. In a British context, you have so much, like, giants of comedy mm. in Britain. You can't really escape, like, uh, Monty Python and, and all the different shows, you know? Mm. So, uh, yeah, I think he's definitely going his own way. And, mm. and that's laudable and great. And uh, fucking love the Greasy Strangler. Yeah, it's a very enjoyable and... I like the way that it's unpleasant in a way. It's called differently unpleasant than a lot of the films that we have talked about and a lot of films you can find out there. Yeah, it's definitely disgusting in a way that is quite different from previous movies we mm. discussed. And that was his intent. He mm. wanted to make something different and disgusting in its own way. And he definitely made that happen. It has its own vibe and it's very interesting. Yeah, it's very enjoyable to watch at the same time as you're kind of grossed out and weirded out by these bodies and the situations. It's strangely watchable mm. for what it is, mm. like for the story and the amount of disgusting scenes in it. Mm. Like it feels very coherent and, mm. and put together and watchable. Mm. And I'll probably rewatch it uh, a lot of times. Mm. I feel like I'm, I want to show this movie to yeah. people. Yeah, it's that kind of movie because it still feels a little bit undiscovered in a sense. Uh, yeah, and, and I feel like there's so much quotable yeah. uh, stuff in it. So many weird dialogues and, and one-liners and sort of catchphrases. Mm, and, yeah. Yeah. Bullshit artists. Yeah. That's <laughs> Bullshit artists. That's mentioned many, many times. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I give it four popcorns out of four. And a bowl of grease. Yeah, a bowl of grease. That's what I want. Now, there is actually a scene with popcorn and grease in mm. this movie, too. It's true. I'll give it that yeah. amount of... I'll give it one huge bowl of greasy popcorn. <laughs> it's so funny how Ronnie is always insisting on more grease on his food, almost never satisfied, and steals grease from people <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> to have more yeah. grease on his things. And like, he's so addicted to grease, and it's not really made explicit why. And everybody is saying to him, like, yeah, you can't have any more grease. In fact, that's illegal. If I give you more, I could lose my license. And he Yeah, the hot dog vendor. Yeah. <laughs> But I also think like the popcorn cinema person. Yeah, even Big Braden is like, mm. I read in a magazine I found on the bus that grease is bad for you. Yeah. <laughs> that just won't do for Big Ronnie. No. He needs his grease. He needs yeah. his grease. <laughs> you know, one of the things that I feel like this kind of comedy allows, this kind of very broad and weird comedy, is um, it puts you in a place where you can look at mundane and flappy and hairy bodies without as much judgment or not through the same lens in a way. It's one of the few places where you're welcome to see that kind of imagery on screen. Like if this was a normal drama film or like an action movie, it would kind of almost break the fourth wall in a way. It kind of allows itself to challenge our perception of what's normal, which I find very interesting. Yeah, I like that this movie, it doesn't include quote-unquote normal bodies mm. as some sort of politics thing. Mm. It's just there. Those are the characters. Mm. It, it makes fun of them equally. I think obviously it should be more normalized to have more normal types of people on screen. But like that's 
not really the point of the Greasy Strangler, but it's nice to see. It's nice to see in that context where it's sort of almost decontextualized. It's just mm. weird and, and bizarre. Everything in the movie is sort of weird and bizarre. So you can focus on visual elements in a quite different manner. But, but it's kind of part of Jim Hoskins' vocabulary, I feel like. His other films also have these often bodies that, you know, short men or bodies that are very stiff. They move jaggedly. They're not smooth and not so graceful. That's kind of part of his approach to characters, I think. And as you said, it's something similar to what John Waters does uh, with his characters as well. Though he's kind of more politically conscious in his, you know, he has more of a, an idea about representation, I think. There's a humor there too, mm. right? So mm. I think you can, you don't have to treat this sort of thing like you can make fun of it. Mm. Like you should be able to make fun of it, yeah. like everything in it. It's a very liberating movie in that sense. It's just fucking all around, flat out fucking bizarre. And it kind of reveals how, you know, there's been a talk for a while about the stagnation of comedy in movies, film comedy, American films that are not so funny. And a lot of that, I feel, has to do with there's a rigidity to it, like to the form, but also to like what you can do. And this kind of breaks all those molds. It allows itself to be funny in unexpected ways. And a lot of what makes humor work is the unexpected in a sense. Yeah, of course. But there is sort of a general sense of humoristic elements in Hollywood movies being very formulaic, mm. following like a joke structure, mm. like following humor beats and, mm. and hitting those. And I would say it's not completely warranted. There's a lot of funny cinema in America. Definitely. And a lot of incredibly funny people and talented comedians and stuff in America, too, that don't follow the general mold of, yeah. of humor. But it's nice to see more of it, like in The Greasy Strangler. It's a form of humor that, I mean, it's not a, an American director, but even so, the movie feels very American. Mm. I mean, it's set in the U.S. and it stars American actors. And mm. It has very that sensibility. Yeah, and like visually, it's very on point with the sort of California the West Coast vibe, West Coast bizarre. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's nice to see movies doing stuff like that. It feels daring in a way. For sure. Well, let's hope we see more of it. So, Thomas, do you have a recommendation for us this day? Yes, I do. I have a recommendation. And similar to Greasy Strangler, it's a very colorful, literally colorful recommendation. It's an indie game called Mind Scanner. And you play as a mind scanner, set in kind of a dystopian city sometime in the future. The game is kind of like um, Papers, Please, which is kind of a, a bureaucrat job simulator. And in this game, your daughter has been kidnapped by the state. And they're kind of taking care of her or whatever that means. And the only way for you to visit her is to be a level three mind scanner. So you sign up and your job is to meet with individuals in the city that seem unstable. And first you have to assess whether or not they have like psychological issues. And once you've figured out that they do, you have like this series of mini games where you're kind of purging their minds of these diseases or psychological issues or whatever. Although if you press too hard, you might also erase their personality and they just become these empty husks that repeat a single word. You'll uh, lobotomize them basically. More or less. <laughs> and um, it's a really beautiful game. It has this kind of pixel style, but very irreverent. It's extremely colorful. The, the design is beautiful. And the gameplay is also really good, I think. It has a very nice gameplay loop 
where you switch between like managing your time because you only have a set amount of time per day and you need to cure enough people to have enough credits to pay for your daily needs similar to papers please so that you survive from day to day and you have to pay the state and also these small really weird mini games which are a bunch of machines that you use one of them is like adjusting a wiggly bit another thing is uh, kind of morse code like where you're kind of checking out like the sound beats and giving it an up or a down and they're very small activities almost warrior wear like and really absurd and once you get the hang of it that flow is really nice and it has this narrative with there's a rebel group kind of trying to get you on their side and you can choose whether or not you want to be uh, like a horrible mind scanner and the thing is i mean it's also kind of difficult to not burn people's personalities away <laughs> and you don't get any sanctions from the state they don't care one way or another so the morality of it is quite uh, intense and quite funny as well a really gem of a game i think really interesting is it a recent game? Like, did it come out? Yeah, it came out this spring and made a bit of a splash. And I think a lot of people just saw the art, art style and it got a lot of good reviews and stuff. So definitely a recommendation. I think you'd enjoy it. And I'm sure our listeners will as yeah, well. Yeah, it sounds great. When think about like art styles and, and, and stuff in games. Like it's not necessary to have great art in a game for it to be a good game. Mm. But you're liable to get more eyes on your game if your art style is mm. appealing. It kind of makes it a bit more juicy. Yeah, it does. Another thing that I really like about this game, it's quite short. So it's kind of a like, a, I mean, it's not like two or three hours. It's longer than that. But it's very um, consumable in a sense that you can do it. And there's a few different endings, but you can do it and be done with it. And I really like that. Yeah. Use it and throw it away. That's our way of doing it. That's things. our way. <laughs> so how about you, uh, Spider? What's your recommendation? So... My recommendation today is this journalistic project. Um, It used to be, like, I think a lot of people have heard about this, but if you haven't, then you really should check it out. It used to be called All Gas, No Breaks. And that was, and I think still is, but a YouTube channel. And basically it's this, this mostly this guy, Andrew Callahan, who goes around interviewing people at these live events and demonstrations and stuff in the US. And it's just, insane like the people he interviews and like the people he meets they're just so many weird and and horrible people Mm. that you're sort of shocked i mean obviously he's he's sort of like you wouldn't interview super boring people like obviously but at these events like especially at like um anti-vax demonstrations and like uh, q believers and stuff like the people there are often like just so unhinged and it's like gazing into this abyss of human experience that's completely different from what (laughs) i don't know like over here in europe it seems just fascinatingly bizarre and horrible but yeah he's a great journalist and he's doing some interest like as far as journalism goes it's it's very like gonzo very very raw and very unlike anything else i know of today like mm. journalism wise and recently he uh, he started his own channel because he didn't own the name and stuff for the, the previous things and there were some disputes over money mm. or something mm. i don't quite understand but he started a new show and it's called channel five with andrew callahan there's only like six videos out some of them are really good. Like there's this one video which is made by his cameraman, I think. And it's called the Hoff Twins. And it's these two guys who sort of live in a black area. And they speak completely like black vernacular. Mm. Two white guys. Two white guys, yeah. yeah. Two white twins. Oh, yeah. And just it's just a sort of glimpse into their life. And mm. it's very like 
sort of strange. Mm-hmm. Like you would never be able to talk like that in any other setting than like completely growing up with that environment. And even so, it seems really strange. And they are both like, they seem really like on one side, really nice and chill. And on the other side, they seem kind of, I don't know, it's hard to explain. Mm-hmm. I would watch it. It's great. And really anything Andrew Callahan does is well worth watching. So, so what's his style? Is he very off camera or does he kind of interact with them? He lets people speak. Like he uh, obviously asks questions and stuff, but he's very like calm. He wears this beige suit usually, or used to do on, um, on All Breaks No Gas. He has this almost Louis Thoreau-like ability of getting people to open up. He just seems like such a nice and almost like like the kind of guy that would like disappear into a wallpaper. Mm. He doesn't stand out really. He just seems like a very harmless fella. Approachable. Very approachable. And very like he won't portray you in a horrible way or like yeah. he just seems very nice and, and I think he really is. There's very little editorializing. Like I think on his Patreon you can watch the entire recorded segments and mm. see like what has been done journalistically. Mm. He's very honest and what he does and it's even so pretty insane way he managed to capture the opinions and people he managed to meet and interview well what do you think do you think that the interviewees do they feel represented does it seem like or is he kind of i guess he's not probably not judging them per se but is there like a level of look at these crazies or there's some people that keep returning to show like okay. they're clearly not bothered by it like mm. as far as i've just in, in interviews with Andrew Callahan, there's like very few people who actually seem bothered by mm. how he portrays people. Mm. Like I said, it does very little editorializing. It's basically just showing people and hearing what they have to say. Mm. Like in some cases, they might be like, as far as I understand, the worst people uh, in that regard have been like frat boys who don't want people to see how yeah. how fucking wasted they are. And stuff. Mm. But those have been, as far as I understand, like the, the situations where both he's felt most unsafe mm. and where people have sort of reacted most to what he's done. But as far as I understand, there's been very little of that. It seems quite on level. Yeah, that's a very interesting. I'm sure it's... there's a lot of intense and unpleasant people. Uh... <laughs> yeah, for sure. Like some of the stuff is not so intense, but there's a lot of like political rallies and demonstrations. Like he did the Derek Chauvin trial verdict. He did the George Floyd riots and stuff. And it's been like, as far as I'm concerned, it was definitely the best coverage of the riots and the demonstrations and stuff. That's interesting. Um, so it's very worth watching. It can be quite intense in times and... Uh, it's fucking good. I recommend it. And I think a lot of people have seen it and have heard about it. And, you know, when he comes with a new video, I fucking watch it instantly. Well, thank you for that lovely recommendation. Yeah. And that's it for now. Next episode, we will be talking about a film called Taxidermia, which is a film from Hungary. Also very much its own beast. Got the Hungarian vibe. It's its own thing and very beautiful, pretty weird. Yeah, it's weird. It is beautiful. So I'm very much looking forward to talking about that. The music for this episode was made by Umulian. That's Svare Ogor and Yu Skarning. The artwork for this episode was made by me, Thomas Sbalmbra. If you want to get in touch with us, you can send us an email at unpleasantmovies at protonmail.com. Or you can check out our Instagram, which is also unpleasantmovies. We also have a list over at Mubi with just a whole bunch of films that we consider unpleasant. Some good, some great, some terrible. Absolutely. And uh, we have a list over at Goodreads as well of reading material that we've kind of looked into for exploration of the unpleasant. Anyway, that's it for now. So... 
Have a lovely day. Yes, please do. And goodbye. Bye-bye.